glad you're here. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 4. And we're going to read there um, a few verses. And I want to mention this summer a couple of big, or and beyond, a couple of big things that are coming up. Vacation Bible School. I love Vacation Bible School. And um, you can register your children now, and you can, of course, volunteer. If um, you need help finding how to help, we'll be happy to help you with that. So just stop at the, out in the atrium or go to the Kids Life Center. And we, so, so many of you have already volunteered to help with Vacation Bible School. Thank you. And, and the more who will, God bless you. And I love Bible School, the opportunity to teach boys and girls about the things of God. And we have some mission trips coming up. We've been to Cuba already. We're going to Uganda and to um, Poland. Uh, there'll be a lot of, there's a lot of Ukrainian refugees in Poland. We work with a, a missionary family there that we're deeply connected with. So if you would, uh, if you're interested in that, you can find out this afternoon. You see it in your bulletin. It's information about a meeting today, and you can find out more about it. And I commend that to you. Well, let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, beginning with verse 6. Let's read that together. The Bible says, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. For this reason, the land mourns And everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky, even the fish of the sea disappear. But let no one dispute, let no one argue, for my case is against you, priests. You stumble by day, the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons." Well, here's the principle I want you to get this morning. Without care, we can forget God and His great love. Without care, we can forget God and His great love. And if you've been here for the last weeks, you may remember the story of Hosea. It's a great story. It's a, but it's a painful story. Hosea is told by God to marry a, a wife of promiscuity. It must have been a big gulp after he heard that. And have children of promiscuity. And so that's what Hosea did. And you may remember, eventually, she went back to her old ways and left her, left her husband. And, and then God told him to bring her back. And now God is really applying this to the nation of Israel. And it's not just for them, but for us. And God is saying, Israel, you're like this. I loved you. I cared about you. I thought of you. I provided for you. And you ran from me. You were a promiscuous nation. And, and, I, and I call you back. And the danger is you forget who I am. You've forgotten me. It, and listen, it can happen. This is not, I guess in the story just for Israel long ago, this is for us. We can easily forget the things of God. We can forget who God is and what God wants. And we can get distracted and we can get busy and we can get focused on other things. And pretty soon we hardly give a thought to the God who made us and the God who has a purpose for us. And so I want to talk with you this morning about four ways we forget about God and perhaps God would use this in our lives to remind us that he wants us in right relationship with him. And so let's note these together. If you're a note taker, would you write these four principles down? Number one, we forget God when we stop listening to God, when we stop listening to God. And verse one, keep your text open. We're going to keep going back to the word. Verse one says, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. That's a common statement in the Bible. Listen 
to my word, the Bible says, or hear the word of the Lord over and over, God uses phrases like this to get our attention and to call us to hear God and to listen to his word. Because he knows the great danger is we will hear and not hear. You know, we'll sort of listen and not listen. Have you ever been, maybe you've talked to someone and you hardly paid attention or someone said something to you and you weren't really focused? And we do that often with God. Even, it's not just people who aren't here and people who are somewhere else, but even in the church building, even watching online, we can hear and not hear and listen and not listen. And so the Lord says, I want, listen, I want your attention. I want you to stay focused. Back when I, my, my very first, um, full-time vocational ministry was when I was in seminary, and I became the youth pastor in a small town in Texas. And um, we had a smaller church building, and, and those were the days, in those days we had that the choir would sit behind the pastor, and they wore the choir robes, and they would sing, but they would stay there after, their, after the singing, after that part of the worship, they would stay there, and they would remain in the back. And so you could see them. It's a little unusual, and I couldn't help but notice. I mean, from the first week I came, I noticed week after week, there was a guy there. He's since gone on to be with the Lord long ago, and so he was an older man, and so I'll say his name. His name is Charlie Gladden, and Charlie was a really nice guy. He and his wife Rose, just nice, but Charlie in the choir would fall asleep every single Sunday, and I mean, he would stay awake during the singing. I mean, he didn't but we would sit down, had that robe on, and just fall asleep. I mean, not, this is a theoretical thing for you because you, you wouldn't sleep during a sermon. But Charlie Gladden would. Maybe he even had a sleeping disorder or something. I don't know. And so you couldn't help but notice that. When they, that's one of the reasons why, like, in the, early, in the earlier service, we bring the choir down. Because if they're going to sleep, I want to you know, be aware of that. I want to see them. So... One Sunday, and I hadn't, it really wasn't that long. I hadn't been there that long in the church, but the pastor, unbeknownst to me, there were some struggles in the church about things, and the pastor got up on a Sunday, and he resigned on a Sunday morning. And he used the sermon to resign and to kind of to get after the church. I, just, I, was a weird, I don't know. It's just a weird moment. And so on Sunday morning, the choir sang a song. They sat down, and he started preaching. He said, I want you to Listen today. Those of you who don't normally listen, I want you to listen. Those of you who normally sleep, and every eye just turned to Charlie Gladden. The whole, every one of us knew the same thing. Those of you who normally sleep, I want you to pay attention. Charlie Gladden was already asleep. <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even hear that part. His pastor resigned. He missed the whole story. Rose had to tell him later, I guess, about what had happened. Maybe he said to the pastor after the service, great sermon, really enjoyed it. Maybe... Maybe that's you. I mean, you're here. But do you hear? You know, we, we listen, but do we listen? So let me ask you to apply this in three ways. Number one, attend worship and get focused. I mean, lean into it. Get focused. Like, don't just go through the motions of worship. Not the singing, not the, not the preaching. Ask God to really help you to focus. One of the reasons I give notes is because it helps me to stay with it, and maybe for some of you, it'll be a benefit to you. As I said, it's theory for you, not that this would happen to you, but if your mind begins to wander, sometimes God will use that to help you get back on focus and really pay attention, stay focused in worship. Number two, get involved in a small group Bible study. At our church, we have life groups, and there certainly there are more than Bible studies. We have 
It's a fellowship opportunity. It's a way you get connected to people. Those things matter in the long run. You'll see more of that as you get older in life and longer in faith. You'll see the value of that. But there is, at its core, a life group is a Bible study. And we want to open God's Word and study God's Word. And maybe in those Bible studies, someone will ask a question that you were too nervous to ask. Or maybe someone will make a comment that will really help you to understand it. Or you'll make some application. And then number three, take personal ownership of your understanding of listening to God. And read the Bible for yourself. We say at least five days a week, read the Bible for yourself. Spend time in prayer. Really focus on spiritual matters. If you would read two chapters a day of the New Testament, two chapters a day, five days a week, you'd read the entire New Testament in half a year. You probably won't read the entire New Testament this afternoon, but you could do it with that kind of just a little bit of consistency and a little bit of focus. And what I'm saying to you is I want you to begin to listen to God's Word. And not just to listen, but to listen. Not just to hear, but to hear. And one way we forget about God is we stop listening to God. Number two, we forget God when we stop learning of God, when we stop learning of God. And let's go back to verse one. The Bible says, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. So it's it's like a, a legal terms here. There's a case against you and the prosecuting attorney is saying it's a problem. The judge is saying, listen, there's a case. They make a good point here. And here, here's the case. There's no truth. There's no faithful love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no truth. Boy, we, does this not sound like our generation? Our generation says, it is a truth that there is no truth. There are absolutely no absolutes. Truth is just whatever I think, whatever I feel, whatever I like. And we just, man, we don't have any basis, any solid foundation. And God, because he cares about us so much, he says, there is truth and it doesn't matter. May I say, frankly, it does not matter. Truth is not affected by your opinion. Truth is not affected by your feelings. It is not affected by popularity. Truth is true and God is telling us the truth because he wants us to know it. And it is a, it's a foundation upon which we can build. And yet we live in a generation, absolutely no absolutes, we say, without, without hardly noticing the contradiction. As though truth doesn't matter, we'll just base our life on whatever we think or feel. And God is saying, man, that's the, that's the generation of Israel. And may I say, that's kind of the generation of America. There's no truth. And, and this, is, this word for truth is really has to deal with has to deal uh, with um, integrity as well, really living out the truth, the foundation of life. And then the Bible says there's no faithful love. And it's an interesting word that's used here. The, the Hebrew word is a word, it's the, word the, the Hebrew word is the word kesed. kesed. I, one of my seminary friends, was in, while he was in seminary, he had a baby daughter, and he named her kesed because he was taking Hebrew then. And I just thought, man, oh my goodness. The things that happen in seminary. Oh, it's a wild place. And he named his daughter Kesed. And it's a great word. It's this Old Testament word. Sometimes we translate it uh, loving kindness. Or sometimes we translate mercy. It's almost like it's as close as you can get to the New Testament concept of grace. And it, it's translated here, faithful love. And the Bible is saying, God is saying, in this generation, there is no faithful love. I love you faithfully, God. And boy, this, is, this would resonate. Can you imagine Hosea who's saying, man, my wife is unfaithful to me, and I've been faithful to her. 
And God is saying, man, Israel is unfaithful to me, but I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to you. Can I say, Christian, God has been faithful to you. You might not, you forget about him, but he doesn't forget about you. And you turn your back on him, but he doesn't turn his back on you. And you might be unfaithful to God, but God is never unfaithful to you. He shows that kind of loving kindness all the time. And he's saying about that generation, there's no truth, there's no loving kindness. And then he says, there's no knowledge of God in the land. No knowledge of God in the land. Here's here's the amazing thing. God wants you to know him. Did you know that? There's a day when deism was sort of popular in our country long ago, and it said there's a God who made the universe. It has to be a God who made the universe, but he doesn't really know us and not involved in our lives, and we can't really know him, and nothing could be further from the truth. God not only, he knows everything there is to know about you, and you can know God, and you can know God. He gives us his word so that you can know him, and God sent Jesus so you can know who God is. You want to see who God is? We see it in God's word. We see it in the word made flesh. We see it in the Lord Jesus. And God wants us to know him. We'll learn about him for the rest of our lives and even in eternity itself when we see him face to face. But what a privilege to know about God. And the Bible is saying here, God wants us certainly to listen to his word, but he wants us to learn it. He wants us to understand it, not just to hear it, but to learn it. I went... um, recently to my class reunion for college and they had like a reception and I had, I had not seen a lot of uh, those folks for a good while and I went to this reception and it was just filled with old people and I mean I don't mean like a, not just like a little bit old I mean really really old old people and like guys um, a lot of the guys didn't have any hair and um, they were like, you know, tooth problems. And they had the old man kind of walk, you know. There's an old man walk. Some of you have seen that, you know. And the shuffling around. And like, it just is like, decrepit people. And I just said, I don't know any of these people. And then I realized why I didn't know them. I was at the wrong, I was at the reunion for the wrong one. It was, I was actually at the reunion for the guys who were 10 years younger than me. That's what was embarrassing about it. That was well, I was delighted to see some of those guys I hadn't seen in a long time. And, and some of those guys, I, had, I went to a Christian school, how thankful I am for Christian education. And I, it was just a time of real learning for me. And I began to grow in my faith. And in my last years of high school especially, though I knew Christ as Savior from a young age, began to grow in my faith. And my college years really began to grow in my faith. And I thought of the people who helped me to kind of learn. I had always listened to the Word, but I began to learn the Word. And professors and others who helped me, but man, some of my peers who helped me. My, my, the guy who had been my roommate for much of my college years, I would get up in the morning and he would get up and he'd do his quiet time, his devotional time and read the Bible. And I did it on occasion, but man, he was just faithful. And I said, man, if he can do it, maybe I can do that. If I can be disciplined in sports, maybe I can be disciplined in my spiritual life. If I can discipline myself in my academic life, maybe in my spiritual life I could discipline myself. And I began to learn, not just to hear the word, but then began to learn it in a way that was valuable because God wanted me to understand truth and God wanted me to understand what faithful love is and God wanted me to know him as he knows me. And I want you to learn of God. 
And God in heaven wants you to learn of him. So listen to the word. Be a hearer of the word. But begin to learn the word so that you understand what truth is. And a generation has no idea what truth is. In a generation that struggles to love other people. May I say, what an odd thing. We talk about love a lot in our culture, but we don't understand what faithful love is. And God is the one who shows that to us. And then to know God, to really understand God. And the Bible says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I want you to learn God. There's a third principle I'd like you to know. We forget God when we stop living like God. So it always comes back to lifestyle. God cares about that. It's not the only part of the Christian faith, but God cares about what you do, how you act, your behavior. Certainly cares about us hearing the word and knowing the word, but God cares about us living like him. And so let's go to verse 2. I want to ask you if this sounds anything like our day. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. He says in verse 3, even... Even the culture, even the nature itself is affected by the immorality of the day. God is bringing judgment on the people and even doing it through nature. And we'll talk more about, we'll see more of judgment in the book of Hosea. You can't read the Bible without realizing God is the judge. He's the righteous judge. He's a loving judge, but he is a judge. And the Bible talks here about living. Notice what it says. Here's what is uh, rampant cursing. Let me just stop there for a minute because cursing is just so, if I said to, if you were watching a movie and if I said, um, you know, the next day or something, is there much profanity in it? You'd probably say, well, I don't think so. Because we, it's so common and, I, and it might be lots, but you hardly notice it. It's so common. It's such a part of our society. It's commonplace for people. So let me tell, every membership class I tell the story of the conversion of my grandfather and uh, so the next membership class is a couple of months away, and I, it's the way you join our church if you want to join, and I uh, hope you'll, some of you will consider coming. But So when my grand, I'll just tell this part of it. When my grandfather trusted Christ as Savior, he was a middle-aged man in his late 40s, and my dad was a boy. And so the next day after my grandfather trusted Christ as Savior, he, my grandfather was a really good cusser. I mean, people are gifted in different ways. My grandfather was just, he was gifted in that. He was an excellent cusser. He had lots and lots of practice. He had cussed and cussed and cussed. And he was just, you know, he was good. Some of you understand that well, perhaps, but he was a good cusser. And so the next day after his conversion experience, the next day, he um, started to say a profanity and caught himself. My dad was listening. He started to say a cuss word and he stopped. And he just stopped cussing, sort of, I guess we say, cold turkey. You know, it becomes such a habit, but he just stopped. And, it's, and it so impressed my dad, who was just a little boy, you know, just impressed him that that was the thing you noticed about your father, a guy who had cussed all the time, now stopped cussing and just stood out. I doubt my grandfather had ever heard a single sermon in his entire life about don't cuss. He had not heard hardly any sermons in his life of any sort. And it was a different age, I get that, you know, when people said you, there's some things you ought not to say and you shouldn't say it in, in this kind of company, etc. But while the preacher didn't say anything about cussing, when he, he trusted Christ the Savior, though, and there's something in him that said, hmm, I don't think this is what God wants me to do. Because God is always moving us from listening to learning to living. He's always doing that. And so 
Now, some things in my grandfather's life, God was working on till the end of his life. I mean, we, those blind spots, those things we tend to miss, the things we're not aware of. But God was working on his life at the very beginning of his conversion to say, I want you to begin to live out. And something in him had heard just enough as he listened just enough to God. And something in him had learned just enough to realize I need to live it out in a different way. So the Bible says, um, these things are rampant. Cursing, lying. Is lying common in our society? I wonder if there, I, I don't know, like, is there any evidence like politicians sometimes stretch the truth or anything? Murder. It's hard in our metropolitan region to hear the local news without hearing of a murder. Rampant. Stealing, adultery. One act of bloodshed follows another. Man, this is our generation. And when we forget God and we stop living like him, and when we stop living like God, we have a tendency to forget him. And so God in heaven who loves you so deeply is always pushing you towards your activity and towards your actions and your behavior. And it starts with saying, I'm going to hear God. Boy, God talks a lot. Man, the word of God is filled with what he wants from us. And then I want to learn it, not just that it goes through, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to see how this applies to me so that I can build on the truth and so that I know what, what uh, faithful love is all about. I begin to love like that. And I know who God is. I have the knowledge of God in my life. And then I want to, be, I want to live it. And God in heaven, whatever it is, there's some area of your life, maybe I've not said one word about it, but God just brings that to mind in your life. And he says, I want you to live, but that's the, I want that changed. I want you to listen. I want you to learn because I want you to live differently. And he does that because he loves you. And he loves you too much to say, all right, just, man, go about, act like the world, live like the world, do what the world, I've got something better for you, he says. And God in heaven cares about how we live. He always cares about our actions and why we do those actions. So let's go to principle number four. We forget God when we stop leading for God. This is sort of surprising when you get to verse 4. Because you know Israel, the nation, is just living a wicked life. But notice, what, notice specifically what the Lord says. Verse 4. But let no one dispute, let no one argue, for my case is against you priests. The leaders. They're the ones who are to represent God to others. They're the ones who make the sacrifices. They're the ones who bring instruction, who teach the word of God. It doesn't stop there. Verse 5, you will stumble by day, and the prophet will also stumble with you by night. The prophet is the one who, and that's the one who God speaks to, and they speak to others about God. They are teaching the people about the things of God. He's saying the leaders are not leading and the people who ought to be setting the example, they're not setting the example. And the ones who ought to be instructing aren't instructing. And that's why God says frequently in his word, now listen, with teaching comes some great opportunities, but there comes responsibilities as well. So if you're a life group teacher, man, great opportunities. You can influence people and instruct people in the word of God, but there's great responsibilities that come as well. Don't take that lightly. That's why we say to life group teachers, don't, like, you don't wing it, you know, just sort of glance at the Bible verse a little bit before you show up on a Sunday morning. Man, we want to learn what God has to say and instruct well and teach God's word accurately. And you may say, well, yeah, right, the leaders ought to lead, and we should. 
Teachers of God's word ought to take that seriously. Absolutely. But maybe you've not thought about this applying to you. So let me give you a quick little quiz. Who, who is responsible ultimately for teaching children about the things of God? Who is that? No, listen, I know, I know we have responsibilities here. And we are, we are not going to abdicate those responsibilities that we have. We, we want to teach God's word faithfully. We care about kids' life, vacation, Bible school, Sunday mornings, the Wednesday night activities, the opportunities during the week. We love that. We want to do the best we can. Thank you for all who help us along the way. We want to pour into our students. I'm thankful for the opportunity to teach students at that critical age when they're making important decisions. We want to do the best we can. But can I tell you, we cannot. We cannot become the parent. And there's nobody else in the world except parents who can take the place of the parents. I mean, that's your job. And we'll help you. We'll come alongside you. That's you. So you lead in your home. Parents, Dad, you, Dad, you take some responsibility here. Mom, you, te- you teach your children about the things of God. I mean, don't just... Absolutely. Should you send them to church? Of course. Go with them. All the better. Find out what they learned on the way home. But you take some leadership there. Some of you say, well, I'm not, I'm not even a parent. So can I just tell you how this applies to you? Did you know the priests of the Old Testament were the ones who would go between people and God? In the New Testament, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. That is, when Christ died, we come directly into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are priests before God. That is, Christ is our high priest, and we can go directly into the presence of God. We don't have to go through anyone else. And so you have a responsibility as a priest before God, if you know him as Savior, and you have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to be the example to others and the teacher to others. There are some people in your workplace, I suspect, and some of you in your school, You are the one who instructs them about the things of God. You're the one who shows them who God is. You're the one who stands for the Lord in that conversation. You're the one who points people to something deeper than the culture. You're the one who helps them to understand the truth. And you're to be a leader, an instructor. A little bit like uh, Robert Morgan and Darren Harrison. Robert Morgan is an air traffic controller and a certified flight instructor. And he's doing his job as an air traffic controller just a few days ago. Just doing his job. I don't, whatever they do, I don't really understand that world. Some of you understand it very well. Whatever air traffic controllers do, that's what he was doing. And he got a call uh, on the radio. Radio, whatever it is. And this guy, Darren Harrison, called and he said this. He said, I'm on a flight from the Bahamas to Florida, and the pilot is incoherent. Something medical had happened. And he was just he and the pilot on this Cessna, some kind of Cessna. I'm sorry for you, like, serious flight guys that I don't know the numbers, of, but it's a, a Cessna. I feel like I feel pretty good just being able to say it's a Cessna. I feel like that's enough detail for you. Some number. I know you care about some number. I don't even know what it is. Just some small plane. Two guys in it. And the pilot has some problem. And the guy gets on the radio and says, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a problem. The pilot's incoherent. And so fortunately, the guy who picked it up is, is Robert Morgan. And he said, 
um, okay, so Darren was coming back from the Bahamas where he was doing some kind of business, I think, and coming back to Florida where his pregnant wife was, the sea's wife, is coming back. And so Robert Morgan said, have you ever flown a plane before? And the guy said, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I said, okay. He said, can you see? What do you see outside the plane? And he said, he saw the coast of Florida. And so he began to talk him through this flight instructor, began to talk him through the process of lowering his elevation and, and turning the plane slowly, following the coastline. And he talked him through the whole process of coming into Palm Beach International Airport, which is a, fortunately, big airport, big runways, lots of big, wide place to land. And he talked that guy, no experience at all, and he instructed him all the way through landing that plane, taxiing down the runway, coming to a stop. Someone told me in the earlier service, the last thing he said over the radio was, how do you turn this thing off, he said. And that man... That night, because of Robert Morgan, that man went home to his wife and to his baby on the way because the guy instructed him. And God in heaven has placed you in this world. Man, there are a lot of people flying on this uh, planet with us who don't know the first thing about where they're going or what they're doing. And they're facing turbulence of all sorts. And they don't know what to do. And they don't know where to turn. And God put you in their life. God put you in their life. And he has allowed you to listen to God's word and learn God's word. And to live God's word so that you can lead others to listen to God's word and learn God's word and live God's word. And God has given you the privilege of helping people who don't know the first thing. Listen, there are guys you're working with and in your school and in your neighborhoods and in your families who don't know the first thing about God's purpose and plan for them. Who don't, but all they know is that I don't know how to deal with the life, the turbulence that I'm facing and the problems and the difficulties. I don't know where to turn or where to, but you know, and God put you in their life for a reason. And so I want to ask of you these four things. I want you, would you listen? Would you say, God, I want to hear your word. I want to listen. I mean, I want some energy and attention to listening to your word. I want to take personal responsibility. And God, I want to learn it so that I understand what truth is. And so I know what it's like to, I know what real love is, faithful love, the love that you show. I want to, I want to learn what that is. And God, I want, to know that, I want to know who you are. I want to have the knowledge of God in my life so that I know you well. I know who you are, and I know what you're about so that I can see who I am through that. And then, God, I want to live it. I want to live it. I want my lifestyle to be a reflection of who you are. And I'm going to do that so that I can lead others to know who you are as well. And God, don't, don't let me leave anyone behind. Help me to be that instructor that helps somebody to know who you are. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I wonder if there are maybe one of these areas where God's going to speak to your heart especially. Some of you need to be saved, and God brought you to this place to hear the word, not just so you'd know it, but so that you would apply it in your life. And he's reminding you that without Christ, you are lost, but that Christ 
died in the, on the cross in your place so that you can be saved. And today I want to ask you to repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ and receive him as Savior. Right where you are, give your life to Christ. Christian, maybe God's speaking to you about learning God's word, about really understanding truth and in a culture that says there's no truth to really build on something more solid than our culture is building on, to know what loving kindness is, to love like the Lord loves, faithful love, to, to know God, to really know God, not just to know the culture, not just to know what the world says, but to know, to have a knowledge of God because, man, people are destroyed for, not, for lack of knowledge. Maybe God's speaking to you about living for the Lord. And there's one of these areas where God just said, that's you. you. I want you to learn this lesson. I want you to begin to live out. I want you to apply the truth in this area. And I suspect there are many of you here, God's dealing with your life about leading others to follow God. And he made you, in the, he put you in this world for something more than yourself. In fact, if you're saved, he saved you for more than yourself. But God wants to use you to be an instrument by which other people find this instruction. He's made you an instructor of the truth of God so that you can instruct others. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. We know, just like Israel long ago had a tendency to forget, we have that same tendency. We get distracted, we get busy, we forget who you are and what you're doing. We go our own way. We get in, involved in just following our own little problems and issues, and we hardly think about who you are, your purpose and plan. So, Lord, help us today to listen, to learn. Help us to live it out, to apply it. And, Father, will you use us to help lead others? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.